Hello, you're tuning in to Cleopatra Told in the Dark, and today I'm reading from Great Ghost Stories, 101 Terrifying Tales. I'm going to read Bone to His Bone, and that's it. Thanks for watching. Whitehead, fellow of Emmanuel College in University of Cambridge, became Vicar of Stone Ground in the year 1731. The annuals of his incumbency were doubtless short and simple. They have not survived. In his day were no newspapers to college gossip, no parish magazines to record the simple events of life. One event, however, of greater moment than, than than now is recorded in two places. Varker Whitehead failed Viker Whitehead failed in health after twenty three years of work and journeyed to bathe in what in what his monument called the vain hope of being restored. The duration of his visit is unknown. It is reasonable to suppose that he made that he made his journey in the summer. It is certain that by by the month of November, his physician told him to lay aside all hope of recovery. Then it was that the thoughts of the patient return to the uncomfortable straggling vicard he had left at stone ground in which he had hoped to end his days he prayed that his successors might be happy there as he had been himself setting his affairs in order he became one who had but a short time to live, he executed as as at executed a will, bequeathing to the vicars of Stone Ground for ev- forever the close of ground he had recently purchased to the vicars of Stone Ground forever. The close of ground he had recently purchased because it lay next to the Vicarage Garden, and by the Cod de Sol, he added to the bequest his library of books. Within a few days, William Whitehead had was gathered to his father's a mule tablet in the north aisle of the church records in Latin. His service and his bequest, his two marriages, and his fruitless journey to to bathe. The house he loved but never again saw was taken down 40 years later and rebuilt by Vicar James Diva. The garden with Vicar Whitehead's close of ground and other adjacent lands was opened out and planted somewhat before 1850 by Vicar Robert Townsend, 
the aspect of everything has changed, but in a convenient chamber on the first floor of the present Varkage, the library of Victor Whitehead stands very much as he used it and loved it, and as a banquet it to his successors forever. The books are the books there are arranged as he arranged and ticketed them. Little slips of paper, sometimes bearing interesting fragments of writing, still marked his places. His marriaging comments still give life to pages from which all other interests had faded, and he would be, and he would have but a dull imagination who still sit in the chamber amidst these books. Without ever being carried back 180 years into the past to a time when the newest of them left the printer's hands, those who, of those into whose possession the books have come, some had doubtless loved them more, and some less. Some, perhaps, have left them severely alone, but neither those who love them nor those who love them not have lost them and lay past some century and a half after William Whitehead's death into the hand of Mr. Batrell, who loved them as a father loves his children. He lived alone and had few domestic cares and distraction to distract his mind. He was able, therefore, to enjoy to the full what Victor Whitehead had enjoyed so long before him. During many of, during many a long summer evening, would he sit poring over long forgotten books, and since the chamber otherwise called the library faced the south, he could also spend sunny winter mornings there without discomfort, writing at a small table or reading as he stood at a tall desk. He he would browse among the books like an ox in a pleasant pasture. There were other times also at Mr. Batchel would use the books, not being a sound sleeper, for book-loving men suddenly are, he elected to use he elected to use as a bedroom one of the two chambers which opened at either side of the library. The arrangement enabled him to blend many as a sleepless hour amongst the books. And in view of these nocturnal visits, he kept a candle standing in a seconic above the desk and matches all red always ready to his hand. There was one disadvantage to this close proximity to this close proximity of his beds to the library, owing apparently to some defect in the fitting of the room, which having no mechanical tastes, Mr. Batchel had never investigated. There could be there could be heard 
in the stillness of the night exactly such sounds as might arise from a person moving back amongst the night exactly such sounds as might arise from a person moving about amongst the books visitors using the other adjacent room were often remarked at breakfast that they heard their host in the library at one or two o'clock in the morning when in fact he had not left his bed and there invariably mr batchel allowed them to suppose that he had been where they thought he him he disliked idle controversy and was willing to afford an opening for supernatural talk knowing well enough that the sounds by which his guests had been deceived he wanted no other explanation of them than his own though thought it was of too vague a character to count as an explanation he conjured that the window shades or the doors or something were def were defected and was too plangematic and too unpracticed to make any investigation the matter gave him no certain person who sleeps in uncertain or adept to have their worst nightmares where they would like their best the conclusion of a special need for the rest seems to bring enough mental disturbance to forbid it so on christmas eve in the year 1907 mr batchel who would have liked to sleep well in the view of the labors in the labors of christmas day lie hopeless wide awake he exhausted all he know devices for for courting sleep at the and at the end found himself wider awake than ever a brilliant moon shone into his room for he hated window blinds there was a light blowing and the sound in the library were more than unusually suggestive of a person moving about he almost determined to have a sashes seen to although he could seldom be induced to have anything seen to he disliked changes even for the better and would submit the great inconvenience rather than have things altered which she had become familiar as he revolved these matters in his mind he heard the clock strike the hour of midnight and having now lost all hope of falling asleep he rose from his bed got into a large dressing gown which hung in a readless for such occasions he passed into the library with the intent of reading himself sleepily if he could the moon by this time had passed out of the south and the library seemed all the darker by contrast with the moonlight chamber he had left he could see nothing but two blue gray rectangles formed in the windows against the sky the furniture of the room 
being almost invisible, groped along to where the table stood, Mr. Batchel felt over its surface for the matches which usually lay there. He found, however, that the table was clear of everything. He raised his right hand, therefore, in order to feel his way to to a shelf where the matches were sometimes mislaid. And at that moment, a whistle... At that moment, whistle of hand was in mid-air. The matchboxes were gently put into it. Such an incident could hardly fail to disturb even a philatomic person, and Mr. Batchel cried, Who is this? Somewhat nervously. There was no matter. He struck a match, haste, looked hastily round the room. He found it empty. As usual, there was everything in that is to say that he accustomed to see, but no person than himself. It is not quite it's not quite occurrence, however, to say that everything was in the usual state. Upon the tall desk lay a quarter volume that he had certainly not placed there. It was his quite invariable practice to replace his books upon the shelf after using them, and what he may call his library habits were perceived uh, in methodized a book out of place. A book out of place like this was not only an offense against good order, but a sign that his privacy had been intruded upon. With some surprise, therefore, he had lit the candle staring ready, standing ready in the seance, saucing, and proceeded to examine the books, not sorry in the, dis- in the disrupted condition in which he was, to have to to have an occupation found for him the book provi- provided to be one with which he was uncertainly familiar and this made it certain that some other hand than his had removed it from its place its title was the complete gardener of m de la quintenay made english by john evelyn Sir. It was not a work in which Mr. Batchel felt any great interest. It considered, it consisted of divers reflections on various pasts of husbandry, doubtless entertaining enough, but to deliberate in discourage, discourage for a practical purpose, as. He had certainly never used the book, and growing restless now in mind, said to himself that some boy, having the freedom of the house, had taken it down from its place in the hope of finding pictures. But even whilst he made this explanation, he felt its weakness to being with the desk was too high for a boy. The probability that any boy would place a book there was equally by the improbability 
that he would leave it there to discover its uninviting character would be the work of a monument and no boy would have brought it so far from its shelf. Mr. Batchel had, however, come to read, and habit was too strong with him to be wholly set aside, leaving the complete gardener on his desk. He turned round to the shelves to find some more congenial reading. Hardly had he done this when he started by a sharp rap upon his desk. Behind him, from the found it followed by a rustling of paper, he turned quickly about and saw the quarter lying open. He, in obedience to the instinct of the moment, he at once sought a natural cause for what he saw. Only a wind, and that was the strongest he could have, only the strongest could have opened the book and laid back on its heavy cover and thought he'd accepted for a brief moment the explanation. He was too candid to retain it longer. The wind out of doors was very light. The window lash was closed and latched, and it to decide the matter finally, the book had its back and not its edges, turned toward the only quarter from which a wind could strike. Mr. Batchel approached the desk again and stood over the book with increasing perturbation of mind for his still thought of the matchbox. He op- he looked upon the open pages open page without much reason beyond that he felt constrained to do something. He read the words of the half completed sentence at the turn of the page. At dead of night he left the house and passed into a solitude of the garden. But he read no more, nor did he give himself the trouble of discovering whose midnight wander was being described, although the habit was singular was singularly like one of his own. He was in no cons- he was in no condition for reading, and turned his back upon the volume he slowly paced the length of the chamber, wondering at that which he, at which had come to pass. He reached the upside end of the chamber and was in the act of turning when again he heard a rustling of papers. By the time he had, by the time he had faced round, saw the leaves of the, of the book again. Of the book again, turning over. In a moment, the volume lay at rest upon in another place, and there was no further moment as he approached it to make sure that he had not been deceived. 
he read the words again. He read again the words as they entered the page. The author was following a non-uncommon practice at the time in throwing common speech into form suggested by Holy Writ. So dig, it said, that ye may attain. This passage, which to Mr. Batchel seemed rehabensive in its levity, excited at once he his interest and his disapproval he was prepared to read more but this time was not allowed before his eyes could pass beyond the passage already cited the leaves of the book slowly turned again and presented but a termination of five words and a colon The words were, to the north of Ilex, these three passages, in which he saw no meaning and no connection, began to entangle themselves together in Mr. Batchel's mind. He found himself repeating them in different orders, now being, now beginning with one and now the other. In any further attempt at reading, he felt to be impossible and he was in no mind for for any more experiences for the unaccountable sleep was of course further from him than ever it was it if that were more were convincible what he did therefore was to blow out a candle to return to his moonlit bedroom and put on more clothing, and then passed downstairs with the object of going outdoors. It was not unusual for Mr. Batchel to walk about his garden at midnight. This form of exercise had often, after a waking hour, sent him back to his bed refreshed and ready to sleep. The convenient access to his garden at such times lay throughout his his study, whose French window opened on a short flight of stairs, and upon these he now paused for a moment to admire this the show the snow. He like appearances of the lawns bathed as they were in the moonlight. As he paused, he heard the city clock strike an hour a half the half hour after midnight, and he could not forbear repeating aloud. At dead of midnight, he left the house and passed into the solitude of garden. It was solitary. It was solitary enough. At intervals, the screech of an owl, and now and then, the noise of a train seemed to emphasize the solitude by drawing attention to it and then leaving it in possession of the night. Mr. Batchel found himself wondering and conjecturing with what Victor Whitehead, who had acquired the close of land to secure quiet and privacy of a garden, would have thought 
of the railways to the west and north. He turned his face northwards once a whistle had just sounded and saw a tree beautifully outlined against the sky. His breath caught a sight, not because the tree was unfamiliar. Mr. Batchel knew all his trees, but what he but what had seen was to the north of Ilex. Mr. Batchel knew not what to make of it all. He had walked into the garden hundreds of times, and as often seen the Ilex, but the words of the complete gardener seemed to be piercing him in a way that made him almost afraid. His temperament, however, had, as has been said already, was was fomic. It was commonly said that Mr. Batchel approved the verdict. Whistles, whistles, he condemned into in existence that his nerves were made of friendling strings. So he braced himself afresh and set upon his walk round the silent garden, which he was accustomed to being in the northerly direction, and was now too proud to change. He usually passed the ilex at the beginning of his problemation, and soon would pass it now. He did not pass it, a small discovery as he reached it, annoyed and disturbed him. The gardener was careful and punctilious, as himself never failed to house all his tools. At the end of the day's work, get there under the ilex, standing upright in the moonlight, brilliant enough to catch a shadow of it, was a spade. Mr. Batchel's second thought was want of relief. After his extraordinary experience in the library, he hardly knew now he hardly knew now whether they had been real or not. Something quite commonplace would act steadily, and he determined to carry the spade to this to to the tool house. The soil was quite dry, and the surface and would have and the surface even a little frozen. So Mr. Batchel left the path, walked up the spade, walked to the spade, and would have drawn it toward him, but it was as if made as if he had made the attempt upon the trunk of the ilex itself. The spade would not be moved. Then, first with one hand, and then with both, he tried to raise it, and still it stood firm. Mr. Batchel, of course, attributed to the frost, slight as it was, wondering at the spade's being there, and annoyed by its being frozen. He was about to leave it and continued to walk, when the remaining of the works of the great gardener seemed to rather to utter themselves than to await his will. So may dig that ye may attain. 
Mr. Batchel's power of independent action now deserted him. He looked the spade with no longer interest. He began to dig. Five spades fold no more, he said aloud. This is all foolish. Four spades full of earth he, he then raised and spread out before him in the moonlight. There was nothing usual to be seen, nor did the Mr. Batchel decide that he would work that he would look for whether coins, jewelry, jewelries, documents, and, can- and canisters or weapons. In point, to, in point of fact, he dug against what seemed, what he deemed his better judgment. He accepted nothing. He spread before him the fifth and last spade full of dirt. Not, not quite with that result, but with no result, that was all sensational. The earth contained a bone. Mr. Batchel's knowledge of anatomy was sufficient to show him that it was a human bone. He identified it by the moonlight and the radius. The bone of the forearm he had removed from the earth, it was his thumb. Such a discovery might be enough, might be though worthy of more than very ordinary interest. Mr. Batchel showed in a matter of fact the presence of a human bone was easily to be accounted for. Recent, uh, Recent excavations within the church had caused the uprising, the upturning of numerous of numberless bones, by which he had been collected, by by which had been collected, and reverently buried. By, but the earth-stained bones was was also easily overlooked, and this radius had obviously found its way into the garden with some of the earth brought into the church. Mr. Batchel was glad rather than regretful of his termination of to his adventure. He was once more provided to provided with something to do. The reinterest of such bones secreted earth and time spent in the time spent opportunity, his eyes of the curious were closed in sleep. He he himself was still alert and awake. The spade remained by his side and the bone in his hand. So he betook himself there and then in the churchyard by the still generous light of the moon. He found a place where the earth yielded to a spade. And within a few minutes, the bone was laid decently to earth with 18 inches deep. The the city clocks struck one as he finished. The whole world seemed asleep, and Mr. Batchel slowly returned to his garden with his spade. As he hung it in its accustomed place for 
he felt stealing over him and be in the welcome desire to sleep. He walked quietly onto the house and descended to his room. It was now dark. The moon had passed on and left the room in shadow. He lit a candle and before dressing pass, undressing passed into the library, he had an unresistible un- curiosity to see pages from John Evelyn's book, which had so strangely adapted adapted itself into the events of the past hour. In the library, a last surprise awaited him. The desk upon which the book had lain was empty. The complete gardener stood in its place on the shelf, and Mr. Batchel knew that he was handed a bone of William Whitehead and that it in response to his own entreated Thank you for tuning in to Creep Office in the Dark. And I read um, great ghost stories. And I read the book, Bone to His Hand, by E.G. Swain. And thank you for listening to K-Pop is on the Dark. And I'll uh, record another episode soon.